Some stories are simple, are easy. Some we won't even remember. But others linger, invading our minds, festering under our skin, and then finally falling. Off the Bone. Welcome to Off the Bone, the podcast about the true murder sprees and unsolved mysteries of our shared past. We are your hosts, JM and Nicole. As a warning, we will be discussing stories that are brutal, macabre, and horrifying in nature. This is not for little ears. Then, if you clicked on a podcast called Off the Bone, what the hell were you expecting? This week, we are going to be discussing about the Ketty murders. In 2004, the home was demolished, and not much remains of the cabin that once stood in the picturesque woods of Ketty, California. Torn apart were the memories and evidence of a horrific attack and murder that happened more than 35 years ago, ripped up and discarded into the landfills, what was once Cabin 28. The Sharp family of six included recently divorced Glenna Sue Sharp and her five children, 15-year-old John, 14-year-old Sheila, 12-year-old Tina, 10-year-old Rick, and 5-year-old Greg. At 36, Sue had suffered from an abusive husband, and she and the children had been kicked out of their home in 1979. Eventually, they settled into California. They'd been new to the area, and while Sue was still struggling to make ends meet with the five children, she took business trade classes at Feather River Community College and even dated with some frequency. However, her romantic life has been called rocky and short-lived. The night of the murders, 14-year-old Sheila slept over at a friend's cabin. In cabin 28, Sue, 15-year-old John, 12-year-old Tina, 10-year-old Rick, 5-year-old Greg, and 12-year-old Justin Smart, who was staying over for a sleepover, remained. To this day, what exactly happened that night remains unclear. On the morning of April 12th, 1981, Sheila came back to the house to change into her church clothes. What she discovered was the devastating aftermath of the murders and the bloody knife on the floor in the living room. Fair warning, the next segments contain some descriptions of the murders and listener discretion is advised. Sheila ran back to the cabin she spent the night in, the Seabolts. They did not have a telephone. Finding a working telephone, Sheila, Mrs. Siebold, and Jamie Siebold went back to the cabin and knocked in a bedroom window to check on the rest of the family. Greg, Rick, and the neighbor, Justin Smart, were unharmed and fled through the window with the help of the Siebold family and Sheila. Deputy Hank Clement was the first to arrive on the scene and began the investigation. Closest to the front door was John Sharp's body. His hands were wrapped with medical tape and rested on his abdomen while his legs were wrapped with an extension cord, which was also used to tie up. His throat had been slit. Close by, the body of his friend Dana was also tied with medical tape, his head partially on a pillow. He had died of blunt force trauma to the head, coupled with manual strangulation. Just beyond them, Sue Sharp was lying next to the sofa, partially covered with a blanket. 
Gagged with her underwear and a bandana, she was nude from the waist down. She had an imprint of the butt of a pellet gun to the side of her head, and her arm showed defensive marks. Like her son, her throat had been cut. All the victims sustained stab wounds and blunt force trauma with a hammer. Blood was everywhere. A bent steak knife was found on the floor, along with a butcher knife and claw hammer found on a table. It was clear to law enforcement that the crime scene had been staged. Pools of blood were found in other rooms, and the victim's own feet had blood as if they had walked through it. It was a horrific and baffling sight, one that would lead into a mystery still not fully solved. From the start, the investigation was bungled at best and covered up at worst. It took hours for police officials to realize that another child, Tina Sharp, was missing from the home. The law searched for a motive. There were no signs of forced entry. Three boys were unharmed within another room, and seemingly nothing was heard. There was a lot of forensic evidence, but in pre-DNA forensics of the early 80s, most of it was useless at the time. The Sacramento Department of Justice sent two agents, but strangely not homicide division, but from the organized crime unit. Leads weren't followed, and evidence was ignored. Three months into the investigation, Sheriff Thomas resigned to take a job in Sacramento. It would still be another three years before Tina's remains were found, about 30 miles from Ketty. The people lived in fear, knowing that a brutal killer was in their midst and could strike at any moment. Two suspects eventually began to emerge, Martin Smart and his friend, Severin John Bobity, the latter possibility having ties to organized crime. Smart was the father of one of the surviving boys in the other room, and also a resident within a cabin nearby. Allegedly, Smart was a known drug dealer, and Bobetti was connected to Chicago crime significantly in drug distribution. Smart also told the police that he had a hammer go missing before the murders, one like the hammer that was found at the crime scene. However, the investigation slowly cooled, no charges were ever pressed, and justice was never served. However, in 2013, new investigators, Plumish Sheriff Reg Hagward and Special Investigator Mike Gamberg, reopened the case, searching through untouched evidence, tips, and reconnecting with surviving witnesses. Both Martin Smart and Bo Betty are now deceased, but DNA evidence has led to other suspects who may have had a hand in these murders and who are still alive. Since the last 30 years, more information has come to light. A tape recording of an anonymous tip regarding the body of Tina, a letter from Martin Smart to his wife indicating he had done something to prove his love, and possible other weapons used in the murder have been discovered. One theory is Sue's involvement with Martin Smart's wife, Marilyn Smart. It's alleged that Sue is encouraging Marilyn to leave her husband to better herself. In fact, Marilyn left her husband the day that the murders were discovered. Or was it possible that Sue Sharp and Martin Smart were romantically involved and Marilyn had discovered the truth? Special Investigator Mike Gamberg seems to think it's a compelling theory. The only thing that I know as I was reading into this is that there are no sure answers as of yet. Theories twist and abound as to what happened, where, and with whom. Internet sleuths will find this a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, but with very little concrete evidence. There are many camps as to who the real killer or killers were and are and the motivation. People around the world have become invested in this case maybe due to its brutality, to the twists and turns of the investigation, to the fact that no one has come forward, or all of the numerous unanswered questions. 
but at the end of the day, the bodies have been laid to rest, the home has been torn down, and the site of the horrific murders is slowly being reclaimed by the thick forests that surround it, nature once again renewing itself, and the ghosts of the past slowly being buried in time. That's my part. The fascination with this tragedy has been long-reaching, likely due to the many questions that remain. Why was Tina's body found so far from the cabin? Who made the anonymous call three years later about the case? Why were the three boys, Rick, Craig, and Justin, spared? We just don't know, which always piques interest. The fact that the case was reopened a few years back doesn't hurt. From my research, I found two movies based on this story. The first was The Strangers in 2008. To be honest, it doesn't really have a ton to do with the original case. This movie is about a couple staying in a cabin after a wedding. Their romantic evening is ruined when three strangers dressed in wild costumes, for no apparent reason, decide to torture and kill them. Maybe they were bored. Despite not really having a lot to do with the kitty cabin killings, the movie was well received. It was an eerie film that played on feelings of paranoia and claustrophobia. Coming out in 2017, Cabin 28 seems to be a blend of the actual story and The Strangers. It again included mass killers terrorizing a family for no apparent reason other than the pleasure of the act. But the family does resemble the one that was lost. However, any points this movie won for accuracy, they lost for execution. The movie was made in England with an all-British cast. It was messy, lacked focus, and was more of a gore-fest than a chilling depiction of a family's last dark night. It scored a stinking 11 on Rotten Tomatoes. However, Cabin 28 did one thing the strangers didn't. It got people's attention. And because of this, the Keddy Cabin murders are an open investigation again. Hopefully, we'll finally see some justice for this monstrous act, and the remaining family can finally get justice. That's what I got. Yeah, this one was... This was... was Because I like true crime, obviously. I mean, yeah, not to brag, I have a podcast, guys. But... Uh, this one really haunted me when I first found out about it because it was, there's so many things that come into play as how horrific it is. For one, the brutality of it. For two, it's within somebody's house. It has people staying over the night, you know, so people that weren't even supposed to be there were there, uh, you know, a mother and her children. It's just the whole thing of it was it just really struck a nerve in me when I first heard about it because it was just like, what the hell? How can this be so unsolved and so bungled and so, I don't know, I don't want to say the word celebrated because that's not the word. Like this is a horrific event and it just kind of petered out for a little bit and it's only starting to get like more awareness again. And I really do hope that they figure it out. Although, like I said, a lot of the people that they thought were involved are already dead. Yeah, but it's, I think there's uh, one of the the siblings is still alive because she was staying at another person's house. Uh, Sheila, I believe. Sheila, yeah. I mean, I'm of the opinion, I know we get, nothing's going to bring these poor people back, but she deserves to have some closure here. Absolutely. As does the community. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's horrific to, I mean, have somebody so vulnerable, single mom, trying to take care of her kids, trying to meet, make ends meet, going to college, doing all the right things. And uh, just to happen so suddenly and so brutally, it's, you know, and it, it makes you angry. It makes you very angry because it's like, what else have they done or could they do? Yeah. And it's un- unlike a lot of the things we're going to be talking about this season, this one is really modern. Mm-hmm. And the person who did this 
could still be alive. Probably won't hear this, but if you do, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. No, allegedly. That's our own thoughts. Fuck you. Yeah. Like, this this was messed up. And to know that somebody could still just walk around being, like, a normal person afterwards, too. Like, what? I know. (laughs) Like... I accidentally step on my dog's tail and I want to kill myself. I can't imagine, like, hurting another human being and living with myself after that. Especially, like, kids and stuff. I know. Like, most adults have it coming, but... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I watch horror movies, usually when I'm seeing the adults, I'm like, okay. Then I see, like, the dog. I'm like, no, not the dog. Don't touch that doggo never the dog that's never like the dog. whole point of the john wick series <laughs> don't mess with someone's dog don't do it but yeah as much respect and and sadness as i can give to one family i mean this is this is pretty pretty a lot yeah that that being said i mean this is a a very deep and rich story that's definitely touched a lot of creators and in that way i mean it's in some way, I, I feel bad because I feel like this this poor survivor probably has a hard time getting over it because of that. On the other hand, it immortalizes the, the people that were lost. And we remember and we say their names and we don't forget. And at least in this case, it may lead to justice. Mm-hmm. So, sadly, do you have anything you would like to plug? After that, no. There's there's uh, no segue to that. That's yeah. Check out my books on Amazon. Um, <laughs> no one died. <laughs> so, and check out Haunted MTL. We've got a bunch of podcasts on there. Uh, we review movies and books and video games and anything horror or horror adjacent. Exactly. And I plug being kind to your neighbors and to everyone near you. Yes. Be kind. Yes. That's a good thing to plug. All right. We will see you on the next episode. Fun. Fun times ahead. (laughs) Yes. All right. Bye, guys.